Hello folks, welcome back. This is the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Now today's podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous donation of listener Robin Welsh, who said, I'm a 64-year-old age group aquabiker that listens to your podcast every week and always draws inspiration or learns something which spurs me on to improve my performance. You and your guests make a real difference. So thank you, Robin. This episode is dedicated to you. In the five years since the podcast launched, we've managed to do so without any adverts. And I'd like to continue in this manner, but the costs of producing the weekly podcast are growing with every year. So if you're interested in making a one-off or a regular donation to the podcast to help cover our costs, then in return, I will dedicate the episode to you and we can avoid that thorny issue of adverts. You can find a link for this in the show notes or you can just email beth at thetriathloncoach.com for further details. If you enjoy this podcast, you might like to know that I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so you can take your performances to the next level. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in the outro for the show. Today, though, I'm going to tell you now about our guest. So recently, I got reacquainted with a swim coach who I've known for a long time. Mr. Ray Gibbs is the founder and owner of Swim Canary Wharf. And I'd asked Ray if he could help a swimmer who I'm working with that's based in London. I might think it's strange that one coach would ask another to help them out, but in fact, it's quite common. And personally, I think that Ray is a more experienced and knowledgeable swim coach than me, and therefore is a better place to provide guidance to this athlete. Ray specializes in observing and then assessing a swimmer's technique and suggesting simple improvements through the use of a small number of drills. And we talk about this approach along with Ray's values and philosophies around swim coaching. You'll hear a little bit of new stuff and also quite a few themes which will be familiar to you if you've listened to some of our other conversations from the past with other swim coaches. So let's crack on and hear from the man himself. Ray Gibbs, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi Simon, it's good to be here. Yeah, it seems like a while, doesn't it? Um, uh, like like a lot of things these days, defined by pre-COVID and post-COVID. Yes, and and you know what? I was I was, I was trying to think when I last physically met you. That was a long, long time. Obviously, we share clients and we we correspond via email, etc. But I think it was probably one of the Sandown Park tri shows. I think you introduced me and Yann Sieberson. Do you remember that? I do, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. You just won Coach of the Year. Ah, yeah. Well, I I won six of those, so uh, we've narrowed it down to six years between the year 2000 and 2019. Only six? Well, they stopped doing them after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, only six, yeah. Well, and I'm pretty certain you won Swim Coach of the Year as well, didn't you? No, it was what it was is I got runner-up to you. I mean, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember when we did that talk, you came in with your coach of the year and plonked it right in front of me just to rub it in. Yeah, oh. yeah, I got runner-up. Yeah. Oh well, I'm sorry. I wouldn't. I'm, I'm sure I didn't do that deliberately. It was probably a force an oversight. But anyway, could he, um, could he be one out of the six, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, how we how we got in touch recently was that I asked you if you could. Um, 
have a look at a guy that I'm starting to work with because he's based in London and you are an expert swim coach. I just do a bit of swim coaching as part of my triathlon coaching. So I'm always happy to defer to somebody who's um, more skilled and qualified than I am. And uh, obviously it's a lot easier for somebody who's living in the South to come and visit you rather than schlepping all the way up here to Leeds. And that's that's pretty much how we've worked together, isn't it? And I, I love that collaboration between coaches when you're on the same page and there's two people sort of giving the same message to um, a client. Does that, does that happen a lot for you, um, that other coaches refer people to, to you? It, it does. It does happen quite a lot. But I'll just sort of clarify. Uh, I always call myself a swimming teacher because I teach technique. Some people call me a technique coach, but really it's, it's, it's easier than that. I'm a swimming teacher. And, you know, I, I work on, on clients' technique and then I sort of pass them back to the coach because without good technique, everything that you're giving them really doesn't work. They're spinning their wheels. So um, I always call myself a teacher rather than a coach. But yes, no, I do, I do work with a great deal of triathlon coaches. But what tends to happen in the winter is I ask them to sort of pass their clients to me. I sort the technique out. And then the, you know, the hard, fast, long sets, then they start to bear fruit in the spring. That's, that's generally the way I work. It's very difficult at this time of year because we're pre-season. Because obviously the, the coaches are very clear. They're very clear on what they want to give their client but if I feel the technique is there it can be a little bit tricky um, but yes it's it's, it's it's certainly with triathletes that's probably my bread and butter normally they have a what I call a performance coach and I'm the I'm the technique guy. Well we're going to come back to talk about technique a little bit later on but let's let's talk about how you um how you got started in this whole business of swim coaching because um like with triathlon coaches and everything else you know going back probably 30 years you would have been stood on poolside with a, a junior club, maybe, or as a swim coach, or working in a school teaching kids to swim. Yeah, um, swimmers, swimmers who were swimming as masters didn't have coaches because they could go to a club. There wasn't such a thing as triathlon, and so uh, and there was no sort of profession called coaching outside of maybe football. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I got into swimming in, in my late twenties when I took up triathlon. You know, from my personal point of view. I, I, I took up triathlon in my late 20s. Early days of triathlon, my BTF number is 289, if you can believe that. You know, how big really? Wow. Absolutely. They won't give it back to me now because I let it slip and they won't give me my number back, which is a bit of a sore point. But uh, yeah, so early days of triathlon and, and I joined a, a master's swimming club to try and become a better swimmer. Um, but actually what I became was a sprinter because most of those people at the club were, were sprinters. And... I couldn't hold my pace over, over distance. So I actually did my teaching badges to try and learn to swim properly. I never thought I'd be a swimming teacher or you know, a technique coach or whatever you want to call me. I never thought I'd do it for a living. I was just trying to find out how these swimmers held their pace over 1,500 metres, which is the distance I wanted to do. Um, so that sort of qualified me to teach, but not didn't necessarily help me as a swimmer. And then... Um, I pretty much just started watching swimmers under the water at my master's club, seeing what they did. And luckily, there were some amazing swimmers there, um, including Sharon Davis was there as well. You know, and they, they, they tolerated me watching them underwater and <laughs> figuring out because there was no no YouTube back then. People thought we lived so long, but there was no no YouTube back then. There was no internet to look at. There was not, so yeah, just had to figure it out for yourself. And I did, and I ended up being. One of the fastest swimmers in my age group in triathlons at around about 20 minutes with 1,500 metres. And then people started asking me, 
well, how did you do that? We're stuck. You know, we're stuck at 25 or we're stuck at 24 minutes or 20. And you'll, that'll be a familiar refrain for you. Lots of really fit people stuck at that speed. And, and, and I started teaching outside of my main job. You know, I started teaching just helping people to, to become, you know, better in the water and, and hold their speed. So I never thought I'd do it for a living. And then about it was 15, almost exactly 15 years ago, my job changed and uh, the very circumstances of my life changed and I set up um, Swim Canary Wharf and uh, really haven't looked back since then. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange place to think about setting up, isn't it, Canary Wharf? Because I always would have assumed that property for rental would be quite expensive down there. You know, you're right in the middle of the city. I guess the landlords are looking for top dollar for everything. But equally... <laughs> you're in the middle of a group of people who are also willing to spend top dollar and are used to spending top dollar. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's two ways of doing, it. I mean, there's a lot more people have my sort of setup now with an endless pool and cameras, etc. All, all up and down the country in Wales, Scotland, all up and down the country. There's two ways to do it. You can set it up in your back garden and obviously it's cheaper, or you can go where the clients are. And uh, I decided to bite the bullet and go where the clients are. But between you and I, Simon, I'm not really in, te- in Canary Wharf. I'm in Poplar which is a little bit cheaper, but you can walk from Canary Wharf. Yeah, there's a, there's a, it's, it's always good to be the first though, isn't it? The one who sets the trend rather than the follower. Um, well, well and, yes, I mean, it, it's great to see more, 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 um, more facilities being set up because obviously not, not everyone can get to me and um, it's, it's good to see people maybe following my, my templates or other people's templates, but uh, the more the merrier is what I'd say. Yeah, but you were—you uh, must have had a good—you must have had a good um, view into the future because probably at that time there were triathlons. You know, I've been doing triathlons like you for for over thirty years. My VTF number, by the way, is one six two six. I always thought that was a pretty low number. I do know somebody who had number number seven or eight, uh, um, who was one of the originals. Um, but there are be, who would that be? Rick Kittle, someone like that. It might have been. There was a guy in Yorkshire called Peter Howard who was a regional chair, um, and he was he came from a cycling background. But he he had I think it was him that had a really low number. But I don't know who was number one. Um, but anyway, uh, there are you know when you talk to people these days and they've got numbers that are in the thirty or forty thousands, uh, having anything that's in the in got four digits or even three digits is pretty rare. Um, well, I'm not incredible by the sports grown. Yeah, but back then. There wasn't any such thing as um, just an open water swim, was there? They didn't have the great the Great North Swim Series. Um, so folks were any anybody that wanted to do a solo swim was probably going to try and do something like swimming Windermere or maybe going to swim the Channel, and that's that's a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it? Swimming the Channel, and there are specific coaches that are based down in Dover and um, generally that, that help people to do that particular challenge. There is, and I, and I work with those guys as well. I know the DCT, Dover Channel Training, they send me a lot of clients. Um, yes, I mean, pretty much the, the, the tipping point for, for open water swimming was Beijing in 2008 because we did really, really well. We got a, um, a silver in the men's 10K and we got a, um, a silver and a bronze in the women's 10K and they were very exciting races. You know, Great Britain GB got those. And, you know, after that... I think open water really started to take off because prior to that, most of my clients were triathletes. After that, more and more open water swimmers started coming along. And now I would say it's probably 50-50. So when somebody comes to see you, 
what what's the process that you go through with well, them? In the first lesson, the most important thing is to have a chat. You know, have a have a talk. Find about find out about the people. Um, it, it, everyone's different. You know, I only teach one to one. So we have a good chat about their sporting background. You know, if they did sport when they were younger, or they do sport now. That what other sports they do. Um, anything really it's useful to me if they've done anything that's a motor skill and that can range from dancing to playing a musical instrument to being in the military and marching you know because if they've been through that process of bit of cementing you know learning and then cementing a motor skill it really helps me not everyone's done those things but you know they, they've got the you know the, the, they get the idea of it but everyone's fitness is different the, the amount of time people can commit is always different and it's with triathletes, it can be very difficult to get them in the pool two, three times a week. Um, but that's, a, you know, it's an inconvenient truth that you have to you have to get into the water. So a lot of it is cajoling and saying, right, you need to find time to practice. There's not, not a motor skill in the world that you can get better at by not practicing, you know. So we have a good chat before the lesson. Um, usually takes 15, 20 minutes. And then they get used to the endless pool. It's quite a strange, it's very similar to running on a treadmill. And so I do an unfilmed swim at the beginning where they get used to the pool and a nice, nice steady pace. Obviously, I'm not interested in sprinting. It's, it's usually long-distance swimming, although I do have sprinters come and see me. Um, and then I'll film them from, from several angles. I've got, I can film from six angles, but sometimes filming from all the angles is detrimental because it's too much information. So mm-hmm. I film them from angles. And as we go around the angles, I'll bring them up on the big screen and we'll have a chat about what we can see. I always try and persuade them not to self-critique you know with the with youtube and with your online information often they'll say oh look my, my you know my pinky's sticking out and nearly always they've got much bigger fish to fry so I, I try and get them to concentrate on what i tell them and by the time i've seen them from all angles i'll say right this is what we're going to focus on and it'll only be one or two things you know max you know when i first moved to canary wharf i was a bit intimidated by being being in amongst all these you know high-powered you know bankers and what have you it was just before the crash obviously after the crash we discovered they didn't know what they were talking about anyway but prior to that <laughs> i i was a bit into it and i thought these people need more information they can process a lot of information it's what they do not a bit of it they need very clear concise information and just one or two things to work on and then i send them away with with homework essentially uh, it's all shared by dropbox and send them away for a few weeks depending on the amount of times they can practice. If they can practice every day, you know, a couple of weeks, if they can practice twice a week, it has to be maybe four weeks. And then they come back and then and then we move on to another element and we just take it like that and just move. And, and ideally, I'm doing that in October, November, December, January. That's the, mm-hmm. if, if the season is, is a conventional summer season, that's when I should be doing it. Fortunately, in London... Um, People race all over, you know, it's such a cosmopolitan city. People are racing all over the world. So there is no definite season. So even at this time of year, I'm, I'm going through that process with people um, who are maybe aiming for a race or an event in January, February. So it's, uh, yeah, but it has to be done um, systematically. I went to meet with a gentleman in Manchester who does bike fitting. He's a top level guy. He's worked with Team Sky. He's worked with British Cycling. He's worked with all of the people that are household names. You know, Bradley Wiggins, Chris Hoyt, Vicky Pendleton. And we were sat chatting about um, various techniques, about dealing with the person. He said, it's important for me to spend a bit of time talking with them. He said, even somebody saying to me, 
they're stressed a lot tells me that they're a bit tight, that they might be a bit hunched over, that that's going to affect the position that they can get into on the bike for aerodynamics and then they can hold versus somebody who's nice and relaxed and spends a lot of time doing different movements rather than sat in a car or sat hunched up. I guess I guess that's the same for you really, isn't it? It's the more you can understand the type of, not, not just the, the event that somebody's training for and that background you talked about, but also um, whether somebody's a type A, hard-driving, um, triple type A achiever of the sort you might get in the city that's sort of 100 miles an hour, never relaxes, always full of energy. Um, that's going to have a different impact on their ability to swim well than it is for somebody who's sort of a really chilled out character. Absolutely. And and, and every coach will say that. You know, when, it, when a, a, a team has a new premier, you know, in the premiership, when they have a new coach, you know, nearly always when they're interviewed after they've joined, you know, they're getting to know the, the guys, they're getting to know the people, you know, they're having chats with them. You know, what's great about Netflix, et cetera, is there's a lot of sports documentaries. And, you know, prior to, prior to all these documentaries, you know, I used to, you know, sort of not be banging my head against the wall, but, you know, talking about the basics of a sport, mm-hmm. um, you know, to begin with. And that, if you watch all of these documentaries, it's, you know, about the basics, it's about practice, mm-hmm. it's about competition, and there is no shortcut. And remember, these people in these documentaries are, they're, they're professionals, but it's still about that same process. But what tends to happen with, with um, uh, weekend warriors, if you like, is is that they they try and cram and they won't they won't go through that process. So mm-hmm. it, when you when I sit down with them, you know, it's very much about making them understand that there is no shortcuts. You can't cram fitness, you know that. You can't cram technique. So so the chat is very much about you know cajoling them to to, to follow follow the process. You know, I know that's an overused uh, expression, but that's, that's what they need to do. So the talk is very very important. When I was speaking to the bike fitter, whose, whose name is Phil Burt, by the way, um, he was saying that he gave me an example of this lady that came up from London. She was a very good cyclist, and she'd been told that Phil was the person for a bike fit, and she was convinced that she needed to alter her bike fit in order to get a bit faster, to get better aero position. And he put her on the put her on the jig, and he got her, you know all the little um, things wired up to the retail system, and he said, actually. I don't think I'd like to change anything with this. And she said, oh, I'm a little disappointed now. I understood that you'd be able to find me the best technique. He said, but you've already got the best technique that you can get. Anyway, by the end of the, by the, end of the meeting that they had, she said, you know what? It was worth it to come up here to get confirmation. And that's, but he said, I, I guess if I'd been a bit younger and earlier on in my career, I'd have been nervous about telling somebody, somebody there's nothing more I can do. You're already at the point where I'd recommend you get to anyway. But he said, I th- I feel like with the athletes I've worked with, Olympic champions, world record holders, Tour de France winners, I've earned the right to tell somebody this is all you need to do. And I guess that comes with experience, right? And I guess that's, you know, keeping it simple and, and giving them less information. You have the confidence now to do that that you might not have had when you started out on this journey. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That that happens occasionally, not not as often as swimming as possibly you know a, a bike fit. But occasionally, I'll just look at someone and say, right, you just need to swim more. Your technique is there, and it does take confidence to do that. You know, someone's come to you for a lesson, and the temptation is to is to tweak and muck around. And I have clients that go on on training camps sort of in the spring, and and they get tweaked because obviously the people on that training camp they want to give them value for money. But they should have the confidence to say, no, it's fine. You know, so they're tweaking for tweaking's sake. 
you know, they mean, they mean well, you know, the people are paid to be on the camp. But, yeah, it, it really does take a lot of confidence to say, right, no, you're okay. Now you can go away and swim. You can do those hard sets. You can do those red mist sets. You can do that. You can do, and you will, you will those sets will bear fruit. Um, it, it happens. It doesn't happen that often with swimming because, obviously, it's, it's, there's, there's usually something, but it does happen. But equally, I, I used to um, coach the triathlon club in Leeds and we had three lanes on a Wednesday morning and they just happened to be right next to the two or three lanes that Jack Maitland was running for the performance squad. And so we'd get Alistair and Johnny Brownlee swimming in there, Jessica Learmont, Tom Bishop, Gordon Benson. Right? We had, at one point, we had five Olympic athletes swimming in the lanes next to them. And, and sometimes I just used to say to the swimmers, have, if you want to... Now, have a look at these guys. None of them have got perfect technique, but they're amongst the best triathlon swimmers in the world. Um, I think Gordon Benson had a real sweep with his left arm under the centre of his body. And I remember one of the swimmers going, oh, you'd do something about that, wouldn't you? And I said, well, would you? Would you? Because Gordon will probably come out in the top five. You know, it, there might be other things that you could do with his training um, around his cycling or his running or other things that, that might actually have a bigger impact. And if he's already swimming at the front, Changing his technique, what's that going to do? He's going to mean he's going to think about it more. But if, if he comes out ahead of the group, he's probably still going to have to wait for them anyway. So is it really anything that's going to add something to him? Um, and I think that's the other thing as well, isn't it? If you've got somebody, you know, if you've, you've talked about people trying to get down from swimming uh, 1,500 metres in 24 minutes, but if somebody was already swimming under 20 minutes and they were coming out in the top two or three in their age group, would would you really be wanting to change much? Um. Possibly, I mean, I'd have to see. I'd have to take it on an individual basis. But talking about those swimmers that you're, you're talking about, all of them started young. Yeah, started their swimming fairly young. And if you start when, you're de- when your body's developing, you can adapt to a less than perfect technique. So you'll see, I mean, there's a 1,500-meter swimmer uh, called Gregor Paltinieri, a world, world record holder of 1,500 meters. Now, He's very lopsided, asymmetrical. His, his arm does come across underneath his centre line when he breathes. But you can't, you can't say that he's not a great swimmer. But he's been doing that since he was a little boy and his mm-hmm. body's addicted to it. Um, there's instances in all, I mean, you know, Michael Johnson, the 400 metre runner, you know, no one ran like that before or since. But, you know, it, it, and that's the beauty of sport. You do get these exceptions. But generally, you, you tend to see these exceptions to the rule in, in swimmers that have started young. I'm not saying they've started, you know, you know four or five, but they've started young and their body's adapted and to those, to those, to those flaws, those apparent flaws. So yes, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sweep them if they're, if they're where they need to be. But some, with latecomers to swimming, it, in a way you have to be a better swimmer than, than people who start young because you, you have to work with what you've got rather than your body adapting, you know, if you look at the swimmer, let's say, you know, like Lucy Charles Barkley, I mean, you've met Lucy. I mean, even next to the other female triathletes, you know, she's got those swimmers' shoulders. You know, she's tall, slender. She actually lives just on the other side of Epping Forest. I mean, I see her running in the forest often. And she has that unique physique. You know, she's very much a shoulder-driven swimmer. Um, but those shoulders aren't ge- genetic. They've come through years of swimming in a particular way. So trying to swim necessarily like, like, like Lucy for a latecomer, yeah, there may be. There's probably a, a better way, an easier way to someone who's in good shape that hasn't got those those swimming specific muscles. I've talked to doctors about swimmers' shoulders, and they're fascinated by the structure of swimmers' shoulders because they're, they're unique, you know. And you you can't get them in later life. 
Yeah, it's the it's the body responding to st- stress on the skeletal system, isn't it? And and adapting when you're in that growing stage, and uh, you can tell when somebody comes down to a master session and they look a bit, they look like they're a bit out of shape, but you can tell that there's this structure that they have um, that isn't like a lot of the other people, and they've got a bit of a V shape, even though they might be out of shape, they've got a V shape that they have from when they were a teenager. And then they get in the pool and you can see all the lean triathletes going, oh, he's going to be, you go in the slow lane, go in the slow lane. That'll probably be good for you. And then they'll go in, they'll come in the fast lane and just, 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 just cruise up and down the pool. They'll be out of breath after a few lengths because they're unfit. But, you know, technically um, all the triathletes are then scratching their heads, wondering why this, you know, this chubby bloke suddenly come down and drop them all. Um, <laughs> and they get very frustrated. Um, well, you know, didn't confuse fitness with being, you know, uh, cuts and having a six pack. You know, obviously, wow. I work with a lot of tri- uh, channel swimmers, and very few of them have mm-hmm. got a six pack. But my goodness, you're talking about some very fit people. You know, mm-hmm. two way channel swimmers. You know, North Channel swimmers. You know, yeah, I, I think um, in this day and age, uh, we confuse fitness with being that that archetypal, you know, Greek statue. Um, very few channel swimmers are that, are that archetypal shape, but they're very, very fit. Talking of latecomers to triathlon or latecomers to swimming, a lot of whom are triathletes, they'll probably have come to this sport from running or cycling. And once they get out of the water, they make up a lot of ground. And some of them are even pushing for the top five or 10 in their age group. And I've had numerous conversations over the years with folks like this who will say, if I could just drop three minutes, I need to be competitive with these guys. The guys who are beating me are all swimming 19 or 20 minutes, you know, which is a sub-130 pace per 100, which is pretty, which is pretty impressive, over 1,500 metres. Yeah. Um, how, how am I going to make up that ground? And, and it's, it's a really difficult conversation because when you look at the people that they're swimming against, those are the, the, the childhood swimmers. They are the people who've got a technique that's been grooved in at the age when the body picks up those motor skills very, very quickly. And, you know, I'm, I'd never say it's impossible, but the amount of time that you'd have to dedicate to swimming to gain those two or three minutes to catch those people is, is, is huge, isn't it? It is. It is. But uh, we share a client, uh, Simon, um, and he's been doing triathlon, I think, for 20 years or, or 20 or, or more years plus, and he, he was in that category. You know, he was going to Worlds, going to Europeans, coming out of the water sort of mid, mid-pack, and uh, he came to see me at the right time in October. I obviously, had a lot of ingrained bad habit because he'd been swimming in a particular way for a, for a very long time and hadn't really adjusted his technique. And uh, we basically broke his stroke down over the winter. Um, he was very, very stoic. He comes from a military background. And uh, I remember him giving me a few sideways glances when we were still working on his technique in, in say, February. Um, but we just kept, kept followed the process, went through the process, broke his stroke down, built it back up again, lots of repetition, lots and lots of drills to, to fix the flaws. And he did the worlds in Luzanne, and he was six out of the water. Skin swim, six out of the water. Mm. Yeah, and that, I think that's the... That's the crucial thing, isn't it? You, you you mentioned there skills, drills, repetition, process. You've got to be in love with the boring stuff, haven't you? I remember listening to another coach, and somebody said, "What what what do I have to do to be a champion?" He said, "You've got you've got to be comfortable with being bored and repeating stuff over and over again to get it perfect." You know, there's no yeah. room for entertainment and having you know it'd be no good if you said to people, "Right, here's 15 different drills you can do." You, you actually probably want three or four that you can just be perfect at. 
Absolutely. And those, and those drills need to be applicable to where you are at that point in time. You know, you'll hear people say phrases like drills are for dentists, you know. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't agree more if they're generic. Let's say, you know, a coach sees a, a whole tri-club doing the same drill in, in April at a training camp. Now, that's going to be a generic drill. And also, it's too late. You know, they're working on technique. In my opinion, I'll say in my opinion, because obviously people do work on their technique then. It's too late. So uh, if you see a drill being done then, then that, that's true. But uh, if it's laser focused on, on what the floor is at that particular time, then, 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 then they're very, very effective. And, you know, I've been doing this 15 years and I use drills with 95% of my swimmers and it's, it's the fastest way. It seems like a slow way and obviously it takes a bit of persuasion to tell and Simon, you know, our mutual client Simon was, was in that to tell them to just take the foot off the gas, don't do volume, you know, repeat the movement, repeat the movement, you know, in, in drill form because... If you try and repeat the movement while you're swimming, if you've got ingrained habits, as soon as you get tired or you, or you go fast, then the habit will take over. It will dominate you. So you have to break it down, and drills allow you to break it down and focus on on that particular movement. So yes, I'm a I'm a big fan of a big fan of those. I'm just thinking now about some of the swim methods that are out there. Now, when I first started, there was um, um, total immersion. And then yeah. Swim Smooth came along. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a couple of others. And these are systems that people, have, uh, coaches have created to, and, and they have a lot of benefits, but they're also, they also seem to me to be quite rigid. Do you, have you developed the Ray Gibbs coaching philosophy and method over the years? Uh, I, say, I say I haven't because I only teach one-to-ones and I, t- I teach the person, not the stroke. But other people would say, because I work with um, – other companies I do a year at the end of the year I always do a swim camp it's a nice thing to do and the people that run that say that I do have a, a way of teaching but um you know those 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 um templates you know total immersion and swim smoother you know they're they're excellent you know certainly for, for a club coach you know to follow that you know it, it's it's all good stuff but it's it, 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 it can become entrenched, you know, and it, it, you need to teach the person not the stroke. So um, a methodology is great. I mean, we've got, you know, I mean, the BTF followed um, a swim smooth and that's, and that's a wonderful system to follow. You know, you, you have to have a framework. But um, sometimes, you know, not just, you know, not swim smooth, not just TI, but you, you see coaches teaching, teaching the stroke. They're just repeating verbatim over over the swimmers what they've what they've learned you must look at the person in front of you and um, i'm very lucky that i do one-to-ones because i'm able to do that in a club situation great that you follow a template i mean really good because it's it's really excellent stuff swim smooth ti all the others out it's really good stuff and in a club situation um great and you have to be generic to a degree you can't give everyone individual intention but uh, i'm very fortunate that i only do one-to-ones and i can really teach the person yeah, I uh, I did a I did a podcast with um, Russ Barber. Russ is a, a swim coach who's based up here in Leeds, and Russ was talking about catch up, and he said I don't really like the catch up stroke. He says it doesn't serve much purpose for me. Uh, he said and there's different there's better ways of developing the catch. I think okay. Mm-hmm. He said that's just my opinion. Um, yep. But oh, when I when I when I wrote about this, it got a whole load of uh, 
a whole load of angst coming back at me from people saying, the catch-up's a great stroke, you know, you should do this and you should do that. We did, Russ explained about the context and about the swimmers he was working with so that there was some background behind his statement and also his 30 years of coaching with elite athletes. But still, um, it's almost like people feel like that, as an example, catch-up has to be included in the drills that you do regularly. Uh, catch-up is really useful for some people. Um, I used it just the other week. I don't use it often, but I used it with a particular swimmer and it made a big, big difference. Um, but it's like anything. It needs to be applied to the right person at the right time. Um, it can be detrimental to some people's struggles. So, you know, sounds like I'm playing, playing devil's advocate here, but it's, it's true. Um, for some people, it can become a bit of a, almost like a safety blanket, you know, dialing the arms out to the front and touching at the front. It brings the hips up a little bit. And it, but if someone gets stuck in that sort of um, catch up, then it, then it, then they can plateau really quite quickly. So, but you see, it's just applying it at the right time. And it's always really satisfying when you know you pick the right exercise for the right person at the right time and you, you see that you know and I still get a kick out of that after you know 30 years of teaching swimming and 15 years of doing it full time I still get a massive kick out but yes I got that right I gave them the right thing at the right time but, but that but that's experience of coaching right the end uh, a, a drill is a tool and if every if if all you had was a hammer then everything would become a nail wouldn't it is that right um, yeah. and, yeah, yeah. and you need to for some nails you need to use a different type of hammer and for some other jobs you need a different type of tool and so the more experience you've got and the more situations you've been able to apply those tools to you've got a better chance of choosing the right one or the right two or three for that particular job yeah yeah but it's difficult for for club coaches masters coaches club coaches because if they gave the individual attention during, say, an hour-long session to everyone, no one would get any swimming done, and they'd have a riot, they'd have a rebellion, they'd get chucked out of the club. You know, so it is—it's a different way of teaching. And the only time of year I do it is at my 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 um, week in Formentera in October when I do have a group of people. It's good for me to take take myself out of that environment. But if for a club coach, you know, it's very difficult to give that individual attention. You know, it's actually, it's actually impossible. So they have to be generic, and I understand that. Um, but um, if someone's struggling with a drill in a, in a club situation, you know they should say, "Okay, right, that's not that's not the exercise for you." But um, when it comes to drills as well, you know, start with the basic drills. I mean, you know, basic extension, for instance, or Superman drill. You know, the some people call it side drill, but you're not technically completely on your side. You know, elite swimmers do that throughout their career, and, and it forms the foundation for most other drills. And if you get a club doing that well, then often you know, the more technical stuff comes along later. But it, that's, a, that's a metaphor for front ball stroke. You know, work on the basics. And, and then the, the more technical stuff will, will be achievable. It's always very interesting to me, Ray, when, well, maybe it's not interesting, but um, I speak to chaps like you, to other coaches, to experts, you know, whatever their sport, um, is that we keep coming down to process and the basics, particularly for motor skill uh, sports like like swimming, like running to some extent, um, and lots of other things that perhaps are, are team sports, you know, playing cricket, playing playing football, <laughs> is, is movement repeated over and over again and understanding the body position and, you know, where your body must be and how it feels to be in that position. Because we talk about 
as swim coaches, we talk about feel for the water a lot, don't we? And somebody who's not familiar with swimming, I wonder what the hell we're on about. Water feels cold or it feels hot. And that's about most, that's about all most people understand. Um, yeah. I mean, feel, feel for the water. I'll just give you my take on that. So when I, when I took up triathlon, I used to go on training camps and do lots of sculling to get the feel for the water. And do you know what? I only really started to feel the water once my technique was where it needed to be or close to where it needed to be. Then I started to feel the water. So I actually, I, I personally don't do a lot of feel for the water exercises until the basics and, and to a degree the more advanced stuff are in place. Then people start to feel, if, if people can form a catch, they start to feel the water. If, they, if they're leading with their elbow, if they're dropping their elbow or, or they've got a straight arm, they can't feel the water. So I tend to teach the technique and then introduce um, feel for the water drills maybe maybe much, much later on than, than most people would. I, in my opinion, um, doing lots and lots of sculling drills without really any solid technique is, is, is not the best use of time for most swimmers. You know, once you start to... Once you start to get the, the physics and the biomechanics of the stroke, then you start to go, oh, yeah, now I see. I can, I'm holding the water. I can feel the water. Um, I think for elite swimmers, you know, slowing them down and getting them just to, to, just to hold the water and feel the water and elite triathletes, people coming from the swimming background, that's, that's time well spent because it's, you know, it's that, you know, that, 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 that one or two percent that's going to give them that extra, that extra something, that extra speed. The the whole process of having a coach, you know, you talked about seeing somebody identifying the, the key things that are going to make a difference, key change you can make, limiting it to a small amount, which we'll come back to in a bit, but and then sending them away with some homework and then having them come back to see you is, is a great approach. But I think also in that period in between, um, swimming with a coach who is on board with what you're trying to achieve. So if it was me coaching somebody that had seen you I'd be saying to him okay what's Ray chat what's Ray chatted through with you what's he asked you to do what drills has he asked you to do okay so when 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 we're going to do drills in this session you're going to in in that section you're going to do the drills that Ray's prescribed not the ones that that rest of the group are doing yeah and um and I'm being on board and maybe having a chat with you and then the value of having somebody with eyes on um, just in a session that can give you a few words like you're still dropping your elbow there, you're still lifting your head too high, you're still doing this with, you know, you're still throwing your head around when you come to breathe. It it only needs to be one reminder, but that that accountability um, is worth, you know, worth masses. And I think um, particularly for a lot of triathletes who swim on their own, they miss that. Um, they miss that regular small dose feedback that comes with having a coach. And I, I think that's, I think that if somebody's really looking to make improvements as much as coming to see you for a, for a lesson is, is swimming in a program where, where somebody can give them those little, little snip tidbits of information. Yeah. That, that, that small dose feedback is what you get from a poolside coach. You know, a lot of, a lot of people that come from a swimming background can't remember learning technique because it's just evolved into them little snippets at a time the coach has got eyes on all the time in every session um you know you hear a lot about you know just and you'll, you'll know you've, you've probably got a lot of clients that just have been told to just put on a big pair of paddles put on a pool boy and just get stuck in and go for it. now there's there's coaches that that, that teach that teach that methodology in, in triathlon but if they're on the pool side actually t- telling 
the swimmers and given these little snippets of information all the time, they are adjusting technique. They are adjusting technique, although on the face of it, it just looks like their clients are just you know piling up and down with paddles and a pool boy. It's very difficult to then transpose that onto a, onto a triathlete who's in a public session and not getting that feedback. So it's much more subtle than people think. They think, okay, well, this this elite elite Ironman triathlete, you know, look what they're doing. You know, it's, it's paddles on, it's pool boy on. But if you look at the side of the pool, there's usually someone standing there just doing those little tweaks. You know, you're absolutely right. Yes, it frustrates me immensely when I hear people saying, well, Brett Sutton says you should use these paddles and that all triathletes should use paddles. They don't need to do strength training outside the pool. They just get in the pool and, and use paddles and He's referring to his athletes, and I'm thinking, yeah, but Brett, those athletes have probably got a really good technique. The sort of paddles you're talking about would wreck the shoulders of a lot of people because they don't have the structural stability or the technique to be able to cope with that. Um, and that again, that's where the internet and YouTube can be quite a dangerous thing. Um, trying to do, as as one of my other podcast guests said recently, trying to copy what elite athletes are doing is just absurd. Yes, and those elite athletes usually have someone, as I say, someone on the side of the pool that's not as cut and dried as you think. You know, if you just film, film them in their lane, there they are flying up and down. But people like, you know, uh, Brett Sutton, you were just talking about, he's got an amazing eye for detail, and he's mm-hmm. given snippets of feedback at the time. If, that, if you then try and transpose that onto someone else, it's very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Let's talk about some of your clients that come through um, Ray, you've mentioned that you have triathlon swimmers. Um, I guess you get a fair amount of older swimmers coming through, and uh, I guess there'll be a mix of male and females. I wonder if you could identify some of the biggest issues, you know, um, technical flaws that you see Pete, those, those typical groups coming through with. So, if we start off with triathlon swimmers, are, are there similar flaws that you see most people coming in with um, that are doing triathlon? I think with, with age group triathletes, um, I wouldn't say it's a flaw, but what they tend to do is just give it a go and just get stuck in for a, for a few months or a few years. And they come and see me once they've plateaued. So they've ingrained bad habits. That's, that's is a generalisation, but I see that a lot. It's very rare that a triathlete will come or would-be triathlete will come and see me at the beginning of their triathlon journey and say, right, I want to do this right from the word go. Let's sort my technique. And then, you know, and take it from there. And obviously, well, not obviously, but that is the correct way of doing it. Obviously, you, if you're going to learn, if you're going to learn the guitar, you know, you, you, you take it from, the, mm. from right from the beginning, you learn, you learn good technique. But generally, triathletes tend to give it a go. You know, I mean, listen, they're, they're age groupers, they're doing it for fun. You know, they, they want, just want to get in the water. And, but once habit is ingrained and once they've hit that plateau, then, you know, backing them off and, and sending them down the correct route is, is, can be quite painful. So they make it quite hard on themselves by just, and I get, I get people, you know, once again, you know, talking about Simon, but lots of other people that have been swimming, you know, a particular way for 10, 20 years. And, and it's, it can be a painful process. So what, if, if there's anyone listening that's just taking up triathlon, get some good advice straight away. Get some technique advice as soon as possible. Go, you know, I always see it as a, as a fork in the road. You know, you, you, you swim and you swim and you, you get a little bit better, a little bit better. You take the right-hand fork and it's a dead end. That's the plateau. If you take the left-hand fork, you can continue to improve. And the more you train, the faster you'll get, just like the bike and the run generally. 
you know, on the bike, a runner that's taken up cycling will generally get better and better and better if they've got a good bike fit, etc. Um, so what I don't like to do is, is back people out of that wrong fork in the road and then send them up the correct fork. But that's what I, that's my bread and butter with triathletes. I'm often doing that. So if there is a flaw that triathletes have is that they, they, they leave the technique stuff too late. They may look on YouTube, etc., but they leave getting good <laughs> advice. Get, get some good advice early and, and then you'll, you'll never regret it. Yes, I, um, referring back to the bike fitting uh, conversation I had with Phil, um, just because you had a bike fit three years ago doesn't mean things haven't changed. You know, you get you get illness and injury, which cause you to stop training. You maybe get a little tighter. Maybe you, you know, have a problem with your back. Maybe you change jobs and you're sitting a bit more. You know, the human body changes. And certainly as you go past your late 40s, early 50s, that, that change accelerates a little bit. And so... In the same way that we should, um, as cyclists and triathletes, probably be going to get a bike fit every year just to make sure that things haven't changed too much and make adjustments if they have, it would be a good investment of time to revisit your swim coach at the beginning of each training season in October just to get your technique looked over, see if there's been any drifting away from what you learned last year and get some little tweaks and things to, and as you said earlier, to start working on through the winter so that by the time the race season comes around again. And that's nothing more than an elite swimmer or um, triathlete would do. But And I know that a lot of age group triathletes are frustrated by their lack of progress in swimming, but that little investment of time and money would pay dividends, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, it would. And if, and if you listen to, you know, the best swimmers in the world, you know, they, they talk about technique. You know, it was, it was fascinating to me at the... Um, at the, uh, the London Olympics when they interviewed Katie Ledecky. You know, the BBC interviewed Katie Ledecky mm -hmm. and she was at the beginning of her career and now she hasn't lost a 1,500-metre race in a decade. Um, but back then and in recent interviews, she'll say, well, I'm working on this or I'm working on that. I'm doing this with my stroke. I'm doing that with my stroke. And that confuses, you know, okay, this is the finest swimmer ever. You know, why is she still... Well, that's what they do. They're always working, 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 cementing, cementing, cementing um, all the time. Um, you know, use the, the parallel with bike fitting. I mean, a bike fit, those, those five fixed points or seven fixed points, if you've got tri bars, you know, they don't move. With swimming, you, you know, they, those mm -hmm. parameters we try and fix can move. In fact, they, they nearly always move. And, you know, one thing I'd say to triathletes is don't stop swimming. If you've made improvements during the during the, the, the winter and then through the summer, don't just stop swimming. I know you want to devote time to your family, etc. And you know they deserve it. You know you've been off on your bike for three hours or whatever, but don't stop swimming. You know you can stop cycling and your bike fit will still be the same, but you've got to keep your swimming going just once or twice a week through the off season. Keep those parameters you work so hard to 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 cement in place. I mean, it's great for business if they don't, because then they have to come back to see me and go through that process all over again. But that's not why I do this, you know. But, uh, um, yeah, just, you know, it, always, always work on your technique. Um, and, 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 you know, you don't need a monthly checkup, but it's certainly, you know, a yearly checkup. I was asking you about the biggest, biggest flaws you see with triathlon swimmers. Are there some commonalities that you notice in older swimmers when they come for technique? Are, are there things happening with those folks that perhaps you don't notice in? In the younger swimmers, not so much. I mean, you know, swimming is if swimming done properly is quite kind on the body, so you don't you don't tend to get problems. I mean, 
Older swimmers tend to come in, in, in two categories. There's people that are taking up swimming in, in later life. You know, I, I taught a guy recently who who was just retiring, is in his 60s, um, old school, hadn't done any exercise since university. And, you know, he hasn't got any bad habits. And it was it was quite simple to teach him to be, a, to be an excellent swimmer. And I, I taught him a stroke that's not hard on his, on his body. Um, but you also get older swimmers that have been swimming all their life. You know, they were club swimmers, master swimmers. And obviously that, that's a different challenge and, and changing their technique is a different challenge. But um, yeah, older swimmers tend to be, can often be easier to teach than younger swimmers because younger swimmers and younger triathletes, you know, it's like go, 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 hard work, hard work. And there's no, there's no shortage of work ethic in triathletes, as you know, really. otherwise they wouldn't be doing the sport. Older swimmers tend to, they don't fight the water so much. You know, they, they'll engage the water more readily. They won't, you know, there's that expression, young, dumb, and full of enthusiasm or something like that. I don't know what that exactly is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as you get a little bit older, you know, you, you, you tend to, and also they've been through in their life various processes of learning generally and listening to people that know what they're talking about. And, and they tend to be a little bit more ready to, to listen, you know. And also, and also on top of that, if they're from a generation, someone in their 60s, they're not shackled to the internet. They're not shackled to apps. You know, they, 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 they'll listen to what's being said to them rather than all this noise in their head from various different, you know, all of that noise may be excellent noise, but if it's coming from lots of different directions, it can be incredibly distracting and older people tend not to, tend not to have one. And what about the differences you notice between male and female swimmers? Are there any, you know, aside from the most obvious physical differences, are there things that you notice in terms of their approach as much as their physiology? Um, Physiology, not so much with swimming. Um, I'd say that some women often engage the water better. It's not so much sort of go, 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 go. You know, they, 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 some, I, I see many more um, women that catch the water naturally, um, which is mind-blowing to me because I don't come from a swimming background. I had to work really, really, really hard on my catch. It was totally counterintuitive. But you do see women that, 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 that sort of engage the water and catch the water naturally. Um, what's interesting from a one-to-one perspective is that men behave very differently in a one-to-one as they do in a group. Um, that was the alpha male thing or whatever, but they, they, they really do. I was teaching a guy, I was invited out to the Caribbean and I was teaching a guy at so my friend's house, she, she's got a pool, and um, I was teaching one of his, her friends there. And when, when I was on a one-to-one, it was very much like teaching in my unit. And I was very attentive and listening, et cetera. But when, when she came along and sort of sat in, he changed, he changed and he lost focus. It was, it's really, and I see that quite a lot. So I'm very fortunate in a one-to-one, um, you know, guys, guys do behave differently to a, to a group situation. Uh, women tend to be a little bit more focused, even in a, in a group situation. And they, and they listen to what you say. And you'll hear that from, from any, from lots of coaches, you know, golf coaches, et cetera. In a group situation, guys don't focus. It doesn't matter if it's a group of males or a group of women. They, in a group situation, it's very different. But um, from a, a biomechanical perspective for swimming, not so much. Um, you know, people talk about women having, you know, better body positions because of the distribution of fat, etc. But if excellent technique is employed, anyone can achieve an excellent body position. You know, it's it's but it's a pretty big if that if is is very is very big. So you know, people say that men's men have you know sinky legs more than women. Well, yes, but if excellent technique is employed, then then they can all they can all anyone can achieve. In fact, when I did I raced uh, Lake Windermere, uh, I did the BLDSA um, championships 
and um, my, my that was a skins race. And, and my kayaker said, you know, at the end of the end of the swim, I was in the water for five hours twenty minutes. She said, "You must be part woman." And I said, well, "Really? How does that?" Work? She said, "Well, your hips didn't drop. You know, I've, I've kayaked for loads of people doing this race, and guys towards the end of the race when they get tired, you know, their hips drop. Your hips didn't drop. Well." That's because, you know, I do this for a living. I've got, I've got really good technique and it, and it keeps my body position in place. So from a physiological point, perspective, uh, once good technique is employed, not, not so much. There's not so much of a difference. Mm. I, you, you didn't mention um, mobility, um, which I thought you might have done, because my experience is that men tend to be less mobile. Uh, around the shoulders and hips and females, but um, what part does that play in, in good swim technique and, and how much emphasis do you put on that for people out of the water? Yeah, I mean, you know, historically people say, oh, you know, swimmers are very, very flexible and, and certainly from our sort of era, they used to do a lot of pre, pre-swim pre stretching and obviously that, that, that that's brought a whole host of problems to people from a swimming background. They don't do so much pre-swimming stretching, etc. for... It tends to be afterwards, you know, which is which is, does less uh, less harm. But um, swimmers 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 aren't as mobile as, as people think. You know, it's more about um, aligning the body, getting the body in the correct position that allows you to be mobile. You don't need you don't need hyper flexibility or even great deal of flexibility. Um, I do see people with with injuries. You know, people from a, uh, a rugby background. You know, often I see some. You know, lack of mobility in the neck, etc., which, which affects rotation and what have you. So, um, but generally speaking, um, you don't need to be as mobile as many many people think. They look at the swimmer and they think, "Oh, you know, look at the way the arms coming out of the water." Well, that's generally because of the position of the body beneath the water and the arm coming out. So, yeah, I mean, if it, lots of guys do do weights and and, and that sort of thing, um, and they may have lost a little bit of. Um, um, you know, mobility in their, in their shoulders, etc. But uh, that can come back. You know, that can come back if they if they you know leave the heavy stuff alone for a while. Um, mm. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I would notice a huge difference in flexibility. Uh, okay, that's, I mean that's interesting, isn't it? I, I certainly noticed for myself that if I paid more attention to mobility, and I, I wouldn't say I was ever the stiffest of people compared to some, but when I paid more attention to the mobility in my upper back and you know, around the hips, hip flexors, particularly if you cycle and, and run a lot and you and you sit a lot, the hip flexors can get tight. I, I did notice that that meant I was able to get a better body position. I also noticed anecdotally that it, it, I tend to swim, I tend to ride on a, a Sunday with my, you know, with my mates, and it's usually a long ride, four or five hours, and then I tend to swim on a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday. On a Monday, my swimming never feels as good. Now that might be because I've been out of the water since Friday. But I've noticed that there's a, a more marked difference between swimming with a pool boy at the same effort as swimming without a pool boy. Um, there might be two or three seconds per 100 metres then at, at, a, at a similar effort, whereas on Friday, the times are actually quite close. Now, my own personal take on that is that I'm higher in the water on Friday and my hips are probably a bit more um, mobile because I've, I've got over that stiffness that's caused by the, the Sunday bike. Yeah, now I might be looking for a comfort. There might be a bit of confirmation bias in that, but that that's that was my sort of logical assumption of what was happening. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, cycling 
when you cycle, you, you get tense in your shoulders, in the neck. And that goes for the pros as well. There was a, there was a documentary on uh, Garrett Thomas when he was trying to win the, uh, the, the Tour de France again. And there's lots and lots of shots of him getting a massage. And very few of those shots were him getting a leg massage. Most of it was on his neck and his back and his shoulders, you know, breaking down the tension. And, you know, this is one of the most, you know, accomplished cyclists in the world. They carry tension in that area. Um, and, you know, triathletes should occasionally treat themselves to a massage, you know, in that area, not just the legs, you know, in that area to just loosen themselves off a little bit and it'll help their swimming. So I think hip flexors as well, yeah, absolutely right. But um, but certainly that tension there in, in the upper back will inevitably affect extension, rotation, um, your breathing, because obviously you're turning your head. So, uh, yeah, what, what, I, what I used to do, I don't cycle as much as I used to, is stand in the shower. And just let the hot water play on that part of my neck and my back. And then I do a few rotational exercises in the shower just to get a little bit of looseness back in there. But uh, you will carry tension there. And I notice that I still do cycle occasionally. After cycling, yeah, I can feel it. And it doesn't, it doesn't help, help the swimming. But it, it needn't be a, you know, a barrier. You just need to get, get the odd massage and, and just do a few exercises and loosen yourself off. Mm. To, while we wrap up then Ray um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, the actual training part so we've talked about the technique and right at the beginning I said we'd come back to how important technique is um, I remember sitting in a conference and there was a swim coach there and a lot of the strength it was a strength and conditioning conference a lot of the strength coaches were um, were having a go at this swim coach saying, yeah, why, why do you do so many metres of swimming per week for an athlete who's going to be in the water for less than 60 seconds? They're talking about 100-metre sprinters then. And the swim coach has tried to explain that the majority of that time was spent training a body that's not designed to spend a lot of time in water to be comfortable in that horizontal position, to be comfortable floating, to be comfortable, uh, you know, not having firm ground underneath them and dialing in the technique. Um, and it wasn't like you couldn't compare it to 100-meter sprinters on the track, for instance, in terms of the volume of training. Um, and I can still, probably 20 years ago now, I can still remember that. Um, and yet, when I go to the pool, I see most people wanting to smash up and down and do what's known as CSS-type swimming or threshold-paced swimming um, and not wanting to do those that easy swimming that you talked about earlier where we're just focusing on our catch or our body position or a nice rhythmic kick. Um, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, listen, the, you know, VO2, VO2 max and CSS pace, etc. you know, it, it, training like that is very, very important. But if technique isn't in place, you know, you will reach that plateau. You know, it's like riding a bicycle with tyres with 40 PSI and the saddle's too low and the, and the handlebars are too far away. Um, you'll get fit on that machine, but you, you won't get fast. You'll, you'll plateau, okay? So, you know... You know, the, the, that, that sort of swimming is very important, but get your technique sorted first and then it will bear fruit and you'll continue to improve. You won't, you won't plateau. So it's, once again, it's about doing the right thing at the right time. I love, I love the moment when I say to a swimmer, right, your technique is great. We, you know, we've, we've, we've got the parameters in place. We've got all of the technique in place. We've, we put the dynamism back. We put the fluidity back. Now you need to go and do those sets and you can do generic sets from the internet and they will bear fruit. Um, it's, and I'm doing that a lot at this time of year because people have been through the winter and I say right okay you don't need me anymore you don't, you don't need to pay me to give you sets find some good sets to do on, on the internet or get your 
your performance coach to give you those sets, they'll, you won't you won't be on that plateau plateau anymore. You know, obviously we've had mutual clients that have, have done that, and um, yeah, so it, it's it's the right thing to do, but it has to be at the right time. Yeah, I, I again, I, I get into a few heated discussions with folks when I when I say, you know, for most people they could probably do more technical work and less speed work and probably still swim faster just by by being efficient in the water and learning to learning to create less drag. And that's where the technique thing comes in, isn't it? It's you know, there's two ways there's effectively there's two ways to get faster. You either swim harder or you create less drag. And to me, it, you can actually um in the time you've got, you can reduce the drag faster then you can increase your fitness to swim faster, if that makes sense. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I've had clients that we've only worked on technique and then they've gone on a training camp and they've, like one one guy springs to mind in particular, I mean, amazing athlete, uh, works for one of the banks in Canary Wharf, could easily be a pro, but he can't afford it. You know, it's, the money's not the same as in a bank. His numbers, <laughs> on, the, his numbers on the bike are prodig- prodigious, uh, as good as some of the pros, same on the run. And he was doing... You know, he was, as I say, no shortage work ethic. He was plowing up and down the pool, you know, paddles on, foot, pool boy on. But he simply wasn't holding the water. So we worked on his technique throughout the winter. And he went on a tri-camp. They did a 3.8K test. And he went under an hour. And he hadn't done any hard or fast or long swimming. Then, after that, as he came into pre-season, then he started doing the hard and fast stuff. And he's knocking more time off it. But, yeah. it, I mean, that's an exception. but. Uh, yeah, time for him was better spent, you know, getting the movements right. It was an amazing condition, you know. So once those parameters are in place, they instantly bear, bear fruit. Some people aren't in that incredible condition, and, and they can't, they can't, they can't, uh, they can't um, you know, get that instant improvement. They have to bed it in, and they have to get stronger. But for him, it was just, you know, boom. And so once again, it, it's picking the right thing at the right time. I know I'm, I'm repeating myself. I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's that's the way it is. Well, I, I think if anybody went back through all of my podcast series, of which there's over 300 now, and picked out all the conversations I've had with swim coaches, they'd probably all sound like repeating broken records because just about every one of you and your peers has said exactly the same thing. Technique, you know, see a coach regularly, learn to swim easy before you swim fast. Um, and it's great to hear because it means that there's a, there is a – Pretty much, whilst people have their own approaches, there's a consensus amongst the best swimming coaches about the most effective way of going about things for folks who aren't elite swimmers, um, and, and that's and that is really, really refreshing. I mean, there is not a motor skill in the world that you can do fast before you can do it well. It's as simple as that, and swimming is no exception. Mm. Well, and, and that is the thing, isn't it? That you observe as a coach is that. A lot of folks can swim well at an easy speed, but once they start to pick up the pace and the intensity, that technique starts to fail. And that's the difference between those folks and the elites, where they're triathletes and the Lucy Charles Barkley and the, um, you know, the Jan Sibison um, or the elite swimmers, is that their technique still looks just the same when they're swimming at world record pace as it does when they're swimming at easy pace. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't always like that. I mean, you and I all remember watching the Olympics in the 70s and 80s and the commentator would say, oh, you know, lane number four has got the piano on their back or the elephant on their back. And, and that's when the technique was failing. So back then, even the elites, you know, they, they hadn't cemented the technique to the degree that they get. Used to, actually, swimming races used to be much more exciting because people would blow up <laughs> in the water. 
Olympics. Now, you know, the technique is just absolutely nailed. Now, it's difficult for an age grouper to spend the time to cement that technique, but it, it can be done, and it's, it's worth spending the time. And then when, you, when the gun goes at the race, it stays in place. I mean, there's another benefit for spending time in the pool doing these, I call them easy yards. They're hard yards in terms of the concentration needed to do and the, the attention to detail. But in terms of the physical effort, they could be seen as easy yards. You know, you're not really pushing yourself at a high heart rate. Um, is that swimming and, and, and water work is one of the best recovery tools. So if you're intent on still doing your cycle and run training, these these yards in the pool when you're trying to dial in that technique are a perfect way to get over those other sessions as long as you don't come to the session too fatigued to, to actually take on those lessons in the first place. Yeah, that's often the way I sell it to triathletes. You know, you know, treat it as a recovery session from the cycling. Take the hour in the water and, and, and go through the process, you know. Go through, the, go through the movements, do your drills. It's a recovery session, you know. Um, yes, it is. It, 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 you know, and often I say to triathletes, you know, when they say to me, well, shouldn't I be doing A or B? I've seen this online. Should be doing this session or that session. You know, fitness is fitness. You have swim-specific conditioning. I don't particularly agree in swim fitness. You know, apparently Mo Farah can't swim. If you push him in a swimming pool, he's still fit. Um, so you have swim-specific conditioning. And triathletes have a, have a luxury that my, you know, channel swimmers and master swimmers don't have, with, with, which, which their running and cycling will keep them fit. So they can actually slow down in the water during the winter and take time, and, and they're not going to lose their fitness or their conditioning. So, you know, it, it should be easy to persuade triathletes to take their foot off the gas and go through the process, but it, it does take quite a lot of cajoling uh, on the whole. Let's wrap up then, Ray. Uh, you've, you've come out with some great commentary today, some fantastic advice. So to wrap up, um, and for the folks that don't have the luxury of visiting you because they're probably not based near you, um, what would be your key bits of advice for them to take away from this podcast? So, um, you know, I mean, we are in the, maybe we can have some specific stuff that they can be working on because you talked about it's ideally you'd want to work on technique in the winter. So it, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the summer now. We're in the middle of the events. What are some specific things folks can take away from this podcast now that they can get on with working? the next time they go to the pool or the lake? Well, you're not going to like this, Simon, but, you know, I, I don't want to be generic. So to, to say you work on these, on these key elements, well, one thing I would say is don't neglect the pool. At this time of year, I'm looking out the window here and the sun's come out and it's going to be mm -hmm. 29 degrees uh, this, this weekend. And triathletes, age group triathletes, love to, oh, great. I don't need to go to the pool anymore. Wetsuit on, open water. Don't. One, one piece of advice is don't neglect the pool. When you swim in a pool, you've got clear water, you've got tiles, you've got lane rubs, there's parameters. You can focus on your technique. You can't do that in open water. You know, you know you've, you've worked with the guys in Leeds and you've seen the elites in Leeds. You know, spend most of their time, even in the season, in the swimming pool and, and not so much in open water. So don't neglect the pool work. Um, obviously, go into open water, but, uh, but don't neglect the pool work at this time of year. You know, it's um, the, the, the good stuff is done in the pool and you just adapt to open water. Um, mm. but, but other than that, I, I don't really want to give you any key elements to work on in a person's stroke because it really is individual. Yeah, I'd say, you know, listen to your coach, you know, always listen to your coach, always listen to your teacher and uh, 
And, and if they're giving you pieces of advice, you know, try and work on them rather than what someone has told you from the internet, which may be excellent advice. But the chances of it being excellent advice for you at this moment in time are a thousand to one because it's on the internet. It's generic. So get some good advice and keep listening to that advice. But as far as actual elements of the stroke are concerned, I'm afraid I don't really want to give you that advice because it would be generic. Well, I, I appreciate the advice about not neglecting the pool. I'm, I'm telling people like myself that, you know, most of the world's open, best open water swimmers probably don't swim in open water that often. I know in Leeds, they go, they go to the open water um, venue probably once a week at this time of year on a Friday morning and they do some very specific stuff there. And that, for me, that is one thing I would say is if you're going to go to the lake, you know, the only way it's prepping for your race, if you're just lolloping around, is getting wet and putting a wetsuit on. You need to do some specific things that you're probably going to face in a race. And, and those are for everybody. Get used to swimming with other people around you. Get used to get used to um, sighting every four or five strokes so you're not going off target. Get used to swimming on somebody's toes so you can swim on somebody's toes without constantly tapping the toes you know and those those are bits of advice i would i'll give to everybody regardless of the skill because those are the things that you're going to be faced with if you're doing your open water swim event or a triathlon and and the best swimmers are comfortable swimming in a group of people with somebody bashing them over the head or tapping the toes and understanding it's not deliberate they're all just trying to swim in the same direction Uh, absolutely and you know if you're in a tri club and your tri-club isn't all getting together in open water and doing mass starts. You know, you need to have a word with, with, with the, the hierarchy in your tri That's one thing you can do in a tri-club, and it's quite good fun. You know, go off to the side at the lake so you're not in anyone's way, group together, get someone to shout go, and get used to that. Because if, if, if I, can, I can work on someone all winter, if they're not used to physical contact, then, then they're, they're really going to struggle in a race. And if someone touches you in a swimming pool, brushes against you, it's sort of like an electric shock. It happens throughout the swimming triathlon. So, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that. It really is my, my, a bit of a bugbear with me that, that triathlon clubs don't get together and go to the lake and do, do some mass starts, you know, get, into, get used to that physical contact. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what triathlon clubs can do. But so often people go to the lake, they could say goodbye to their triathlon buddies in the, in the car park and they swim around in pristine isolation. That's not... That's not doing them any any help. As soon as the gun goes, all that goes out the window. I suppose the only other thing I would add to that is you, you mentioned that the benefits of being in a pool is as a uniform distance you're swimming. Um, you often get if, if you can combine these two, you get a chance to look at a clock um, as you're turning, so you, you can uh, you can fairly accurately um, gauge your pace. Um, you don't get those luxuries in the lake and you definitely don't want to be treading water for a few seconds while you look at your watch to see what, what that's telling you so there's another thing there about you know picking a, a distance between two turn buoys or two landmarks on the lake and actually getting used to what your race pace feels like so that you can judge it because again when we talked about those elite triathlon swimmers the lucy charles barclays and, and her sort of elite swim peers they know what their race pace is. They know how it feels. They know what they know what the right breathing pattern is and how their breathing feels on that breathing pattern at that pace. But again, that's just hours and hours of practice. And that's another one of those skills that they learn in open water, isn't it, is what it feels like. And they'll be able to do the 400-meter lap at pretty much the same pace every time. Yeah, I mean, there's a very good exercise which I get my clients to do in open water. 
I mean, this isn't technique stuff. This is open water stuff. So, you know, I've given my answer to the technique, but uh, which is basically, so if you go to a lake and there's a 400 meter loop or a 750 loop, I get my clients to swim the first loop easy and then maybe take a minute's rest. The second loop medium, take a minute's rest. The third loop fast and take a careful note of those times. Nine times out of 10, the, the medium pace, which is much effort will be the same speed or as fast as the fast pace pace so that's an excellent fitness session but it also gives you an idea where the sweet spot is you know and for, and for an ironman or a half ironman or even for olympic distance you don't want to be thrashing the water and using lots of energy so that's a really that's a good thing that, that triathletes can do at this time of year you know just find out where that sweet spot is. i call it super cruise it's it's, it's been able to swim fast but not drawing too deeply from the web I mean, the elites are very impressive. You look at uh, elite, elite iron, iron men and iron women. You know, the speed they come out of water is impressive. But what's more impressive is that they're through triathlon, uh, they're, I beg your pardon, they're through transition, super composed, super focused. They grab their gear, they're on the bike, and they've got their power down straight away. So many um, uh, age groupers think that the first 20 minutes of the bike is to recover from the swim because they've gone <laughs> too hard on the swim you know you've got to be in that in that in that composed state because you know there's a marathon to run at the end of it or there's a half marathon or there's a or there's a 10k to run at the end of it so that's that's a good thing for people to do to find that super cruise and everyone's different you know it may not be as fast as you like but there'll be a there'll be a speed that you can you can hold without drawing too deeply from the well or what cyclists say you know lighting the matches you know right it's been great to catch up thank you i've appreciated your knowledge and advice that you've shared with me and everybody else i learned i learned something from every single guest and i've, I've certainly learned a few or a few new things today or been reminded of those so thank you very much for that where can folk we're going to put all these in the share in the show notes but where's the best place for folks to find you if they've listened to this and thought actually raise the man i need to go and see him so just google swim canary wolf i'll pop up and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm based in uh, in Canary Wharf. But people come from all over. When I first started the business, it used to be just people from the area. But now people come from all over. And uh, yeah, Swim Canary Wharf, you'll find me there. It's not the greatest website. It's not all bells and whistles, but you're, you're, there's everything you need to know on there. All right. Well, Ray Gibbs, thank you very much for being here. It's been lovely to catch up. Hopefully we'll get you back on again in the future to talk about preparing for your triathlon at the beginning of the winter season. It's been great, Simon. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you again to Ray for joining me today on the High Performance Human Podcast. If you are interested in booking in for your own swim technique assessment, then you can find details about how to do that in the show notes below. To make sure you don't miss any one of our episodes in the future, please go along to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and then click the subscribe button. And while you're there, and if you have the time, I would absolutely love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find a link for that in the show notes below. Now, if you can remember back to the introduction for this episode, I mentioned we've created a membership program, allowing me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs, so we don't need to have any paid ads. And it's my goal to ensure that every single one of our SWAT members get back much more than the price of the subscription. So to that end, membership benefits include access to a growing library of training plans for a whole range of endurance events, not just triathlon, but duathlon, aquabike, swim, burn, etc., 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 etc. And we've also got some much more specific plans there that'll help you boost your bike power or your running pace at threshold. We have monthly exclusive workshops, which are exclusive to our SWAT members, and 
Members also get free access to our educational workshops on topics such as nutrition, sleep, strength and many more. We also got a growing range of discounts on partner products and these are products that I've used myself for a number of years and do so because I like the people who run the companies, the products are really well um, produced and delivered. And also, you'd like to know, I don't get paid to promote them. If you want to learn more about this and access the member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonmore.co.uk. Click on the Work With Me link and continue the process. You can also find a link in the show notes below. If you're on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And if you just look for me at The Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And that's it. That's all for this week. I will see you on the next episode.